Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Gracie and I are here in Casablanca, Morocco, where we are doing a training for a group of African migrants, mostly from Sub-Sahara African places. These are people that have come from war-torn countries like Congo, and uh, there's others from Cameroon and Ivory Coast, you know, mainly French-speaking places. And they've come with hopes of crossing the Mediterranean into Spain, and uh, many of them have settled here and are uh, pastoring house churches in uh, Casablanca and just other cities in Morocco. Anyway, we, we came here and did three of our trainings, our Certificate in Transformational Ministry at the Margins back uh, four years ago. And uh, now we're starting a new um, CTMM with, uh, with folks here. And it's really good to be back, although this is a, it's a hard environment. This is a big, dirty port city. And, um, you know, we're like in a hotel, you might hear some background noise from the tramways. But um, I've been really moved by so many stories in scripture. But the one I want to talk about today is Jesus's healing of the woman who had the blood flow and some of the stories surrounding that as well. In Luke chapter 8, um, verse 40 and following, um, right before that, we have Jesus who is, um, you know, he's just come across from the country of the Gerasenes, you know, where he, um, there was a violent demoniac who was living in the tombs who fell before Jesus and cried out to him for mercy. And, um, and maybe you remember Jesus cast out the demons into a herd of 2,000 pigs, and um, which that destroyed the, the businesses of these wealthy herdsmen who drove him out of the town. And, uh, you know, but Jesus commissioned that man to be a witness. And really, this is one of the first apostles, so to speak. He was sent to the, the 10 cities to bear witness. And um, in today's story, you know, the, the one that we're going to look at now, we have another man who falls down before Jesus and begs him for mercy because this man's daughter is dying. And this man, in contrast to the demoniac, is a religious leader. And um, let's read beginning in chapter 8, verse 40 to 42. And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to beg him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. And as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. So here we have um, Jesus' returned from this mission across the lake, and now we have a religious insider, a synagogue official, who we know his name, Jairus. He comes to Jesus. And he comes in a public way, in um, using religious posturing as well. Um, granted, he was desperate, um, but he fell down at his feet and he begged him to come to his house. And this is really the language of prayer, but it's also um, a picture of, you know, sort of religious prayer and, um, you know, a kind of prayer that I think a lot of people, uh, when they think of, you know, religion, when they think of prayer, they think of, you know, getting down on your knees, um, you know, prostrating yourself, uh, crying out, praying, um, you know, and 
And so that's happening. And Jesus goes with him and the crowd presses against him. And, um, you know, this posturing, falling at Jesus's feet is common. You know, this public um, coming to, before Jesus, it happens in other gospel stories. Like in Luke 5, there's a leper that falls on his face before Jesus and begs him for healing. In Luke 17, there's a Samaritan leper who falls on his face at Jesus's feet and thanks him for healing him. Mary falls at Jesus's feet when she laments the death of her brother Lazarus in John 11. So this falling, pipto in Greek, is an act of humble surrender before someone, um, you know, um, often with a need that is then going to be expressed. Um, and so, and that's, and that's fine. And this is one of the ways that people come before God. But often when we're dealing with people on the margins of society, people who are, who feel excluded, who are, um, who feel disqualified, they're not going to do this um, usually, especially in a public way. You know, they're going to feel even unworthy to come to Jesus at all. You know, so often um, I run into people in our jails. I mean, just recently I would have been uh, talking with a guy through the glass in the visitor booths uh, in the jail who who tells me, um, you know, he can't pray. You know, he says, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite and just cry out to God when I have a, when I have a need, when I'm in a crisis, when I'm facing a, a big prison sentence. Um, you know, I... I don't want to be a hypocrite. And, uh, and so he told me like the only way that he would be able to pray for himself was if he got out of jail, started going to church, stopped using drugs, changed his lifestyle, you know, and sort of really cleaned himself up so that he could be worthy of being able to uh, ask Jesus for something. And that attitude is, is widespread. And, um, and so a lot of people, you know, uh, aren't going to come to a Bible say they're not going to show up at church if, if they're known to be, you know, sort of still using or dealing drugs or in some kind of a, of a, of a lifestyle that would be viewed by, you know, by religious people as sinful, you know, they, they don't want to be seen. Um, and here in this next story, we have something, someone similar who comes along. Um, let's read Luke 8, 43 to 44. So Jesus is on his way to uh, to follow, following behind this Jairus character who's got a sick daughter and a very sick daughter. And, um, you know, and I love that Jesus goes with him. But there, when the crowd's pressing in on him, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Wow. So... Here we have um, someone who has been bleeding. No one's been able to heal her. Um, she comes up behind Jesus and touches the fringe of his cloak. And um, she, there's no confession of uh, who he is as the Messiah, as God's son. As uh, There's no um, relationship that she has with Jesus. Uh, she comes from behind and she touches him. But she's healed right on the spot, you know. Um, what a beautiful story. Immediately the bleeding stops. And um, I think this is a story that really uh, speaks into the settings of uh, ministry at the margins and, and, you know, like evangelizing and reaching people who, 
you know, who um, often are desperate, but they're not going to publicly demonstrate that they're, you know, they're out and about and, uh, and their faith is, is real, but it's maybe more secretive. Um, I was just, uh, Gracie and I were just in Paris on our way here and we had something that happened that really was beautiful, but shocking, the just amazing, miraculous story. Um, we had been asked by our friends in Paris to speak at a conference on spiritual freedom. And there were about 200 people in this gathering. And so just the very day that we arrived in Paris, this conference started. And so we went to it that night. And uh, and then our friend said, oh, we'd like you to speak. Actually, he introduced us that very night and said that we were some of the speakers, <laughs> which we didn't. We, we didn't know that we were. Um, next day, um, he asked me to speak and uh, I was to speak on healing. And so, you know, liberation of the body. So um, I was like maybe the fourth, fourth talk of the day in the afternoon. And so I got up and I was just talking about um, examples. Like I was talking about um, how Jesus, um, you know, healed people. And that's really how the crowds became um, drawn to him, you know, like, like right after Jesus calls his disciples in, in Matthew chapter four, um, you know, he, he calls them and they leave their nets and they leave their father and they follow him. And then, and then there's people that are coming from all, of the, uh, all around the surrounding region, bringing their uh, sick and paralyzed and demonized and, you know, and he's healing everybody. And, and the word goes out everywhere that, you know, uh, and that's how really the kingdom of God advances is through, is through Jesus's uh, mercy and and just radical goodness of extending physical and spiritual healing and freedom, you know, to just uh, people out in the outside who are outsiders. It's a lot of it's happening outdoors even. And I was sharing the example of uh, of how you know many times we see people who aren't even believers in Jesus at all get healed. And so I was, I was sharing a number of stories you know, from our ministry, including one that just happened like, um, like last week, actually about a month ago, one of our, uh, one of our community members, who's a fentanyl addict, who's just for the last number of years has been strung out and just, uh, living in trap houses and, and then back with his, his partner and, and their child. And, you know, but, but, but just, you know, out on the streets and, you know, kind of recently he's been kind of AWOL from the family, just staying in trap houses for the last three weeks, um, using, using, using. And we've been quite worried about him overdosing because there's been a lot of overdose deaths from fentanyl. And we love this guy. He's, he would consider himself a, you know, an active participant in our church, you know, but pretty much always he's under the influence of, you know, of drugs when he's at our church. And so about a month ago, um, when he was really high, um, he, uh, he came in and we, we prayed over him and we just blessed him. And when we prayed for him, um, we prayed specifically for his hepatitis C because, uh, you know, his liver was really, um, under a lot of stress just from the, the fentanyl, but the hep C was, was advanced. And so we prayed that Jesus would heal him from the hepatitis C. And, um, then he went back out on the streets and, and for the last three weeks since that prayer, he's been using. Well, he ended up in the hospital um, because of uh, just a head injury from a fight. And, um, and just last Wednesday, 
you know, he came from the hospital and, um, and his partner and was just super excited. She says, you know, we just learned from the blood test, um, you know, and the, the hospital from knew from his records that he had hep C, but they, they just announced to us today that the hep C was gone. There's no trace of hepatitis C in his body. And, um, and so everyone was just shaking their heads in excitement, you know, like unbelief and, and just a wonderment, you know, that, um, this guy who's, who's such a, you know, I mean, so caught up in addiction that Jesus healed him just like that. And, and this man was just delighted himself. And I think it just really gave him a lot of hope. And, um, you know, which, uh, you know, which I think, you know, just shows just the radical mercy of God. And, and so I was telling that story and, and then I gave some examples just like of this, this story when I was speaking, um, you know, there in, in Paris, I was, you know, I gave some examples like this woman coming up from behind Jesus and touching him. And, and, um, and then, you know, um, I ended my time praying for the, you know, for the whole, all the people. And then we, then everyone broke up into groups of three to pray for one another. And, um, this woman came up to me at the end and she was, uh, black woman for a French, uh, Afro Caribbean background. Like I think her, she said her family was from uh, Haiti and, um, she came to me a lady in her late twenties, maybe early thirties. And she's just crying. And she said, you know, uh, her friend had brought her that day. And, um, and her friend told her that when I was giving the example of this woman, um, who had the blood flow, who came up behind Jesus, that I'd looked right at her, um, you know, the woman there that was crying before me. And so she felt like she needed to come to me because uh, she said, she said I, she had bleeding all the time and all this pain in her lower abdomen and she had endometriosis and it was up at a really advanced uh, state and also a lot of fibroids and, and she wasn't, um, she was infertile because of that as well. And and she was just uh, really desperate. And so I said, oh, well, look, let's pray. I mean, well, so I brought her over. Gracie was on this couch um, in, on the side of the church. And um, she sat between us. And um, and we had her put her hands in her, on her abdomen area where it was bleeding in pain. And we, 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 we prayed for her. And we just prayed uh, that God's love would just fill her and that it would just go right down into all of her um, organs that are affected by this endometriosis. And we, and we broke the power of that sickness and we commanded the pain to stop and the bleeding to stop. And, you know, we just prayed whatever prayer sort of came to us. And, and uh, I could see that God was moving. This woman was, was really being touched. And I asked her, I said, Oh, so, so how are you feeling? And she says, Oh, you know, I, I don't know. But um, the pain is gone. And I said, oh, wow. Okay, great. And so the pain is gone. You had pain um, right before? She said, yeah, I've always been, we've been having pain for just all the time and bleeding. And so I said, okay, well. And then for some reason, I felt led to ask her if she was a follower of Jesus, whether she considered herself a Christian. She said, no, no, I'm, she said, I'm not a Christian. I'm, I'm not a a person of, of who believes in not active in any way. I'm not a Christian, but I've been preparing, thinking of, that maybe I, sh I would want to become a Christian someday. Um, and it was kind of like, 
you know, but I'd have to do this, this, and this, and this, you know, um, that was sort of what I heard behind what she was saying. And, um, and so we just said, well, you know, look, you know, God loves you just the way you are. And, um, you know, um, Jesus is, a, is our friend and, and the one who shows mercy and care and his love is, is with you and, and for you. And we just proclaimed the good news to her and just said, like, I mean, you could, you don't have to prepare to receive Jesus. If you are drawn to him and you want him in your life, you can just welcome him into your life. And, um, and I said, what do you think? And she says, well, I want to. And I said, well, then I realized I didn't want her to feel any kind of pressure. Like, like this was some exchange, you know, she's going to be healed in exchange for her then, um, receiving Jesus, um, in pleasing us. Like I didn't want her to feel like she was, uh, you know, like she was like, like that she was returning a favor or something like that by doing what we wanted. So I said, but I mean, maybe if you're not ready, that's, that's fine. And please don't feel any pressure from us. It's just, you know, I'm just, uh, we're just bringing this up because it, you know, it's something you, that is available to you. And she says, no, no, um, I think I really want to right now. I want to give my life over to, to Jesus. And so, um, you know, I suggested how she might pray and, and she said, okay, I'll pray. So she prayed this beautiful prayer, just uh, saying, I, Jesus, I, I receive you, welcome you into my life. I, I surrender my life to you. She prayed this beautiful prayer. And then we prayed for her to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, um, and then, um, then I introduced her to um, this woman who's a pastor of a, of, of a church in downtown Paris good friend of ours and one of the speak, one of the main teachers at this uh, conference. And so then they connected and, and our friend invited her to her church the next day. And uh, so then um, on Monday, after we were in Casablanca, we received an email from our pastor friend who told us um, that that young woman had come to her church on Sunday and had testified publicly how um, on Saturday night, right after the prayers, all the bleeding had stopped. And so we were like, wow, that is so exciting. And that just felt like such a huge blessing um, to hear that news, you know, right as we were kind of beginning um, in a new setting um, in this really, uh, you know, kind of broken down, dirty city where we are now and, you know, working with very vulnerable people. And, and so praise God, you know, um, we saw this actual story um, in action in a way. And what's even uh, especially interesting is that this training that was happening in Paris was um, was for active Christians and even leaders in churches. And that was a requirement to be able to come to the church uh, or to this gathering is that you had to fill out this app, some kind of application and actually come in. Um, I mean, it was a free of charge training, but it was a training for, you know, for active believers. And so the reality that this woman had come with a friend, uh, you know, as a non-Christian is another parallel to the story where, you know, where the woman comes because she's, you know, she's in need, you know, no one had been able to heal her. And um, other texts say that she spent everything um, that she had on doctors and, and such. And so here this woman was, you know, was desperate enough, you know, to come and, and to come um, in an illicit sort of illegal way to this conference. And um, of course that didn't, blocked Jesus from, from healing her in any way, because that's who Jesus is. 
you know, Jesus um, is for um, anyone who's an offender of any kind and is, um, is the one who, you know, God has sent because God so loves the world that he, that he gave his only begotten son. So, um, so this woman, in contrast to Jairus, you know, who falls down um, publicly and begs Jesus to come, um, you know, this woman um, has no name, right? Um, and she herself is afflicted, whereas Jairus comes to Jesus and risks his reputation because he loves his dying daughter. Um, you know, this woman comes secretly and um, she, she doesn't approach Jesus uh, like Jairus from the front in front of a huge crowd. Um, and this woman is immediately healed, whereas uh, Jairus's daughter is waiting, you know, back in, in the home, um, right, and ends up actually dying. And so, uh, you know, the woman who does things uh, secretly, illicitly, she's the one that gets the immediate healing. And, um, and so let's see what happens next, though, because, um, you know, because there's a continuation of the story that brings some critical points. So uh, Luke 8, 45 to 46. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. So how does Jesus respond and, and why? Jesus asks, who? Who touched me? You know, Jairus, we know his name, but this is a nameless woman. And so he wants to know her personally. He's aware that power has gone out of him, but he wants a relationship. Um, you know, we might think he, he wants to um, sort of bust her in a way, put her on blast, um, you know, potentially shame her. I mean, everyone's denying uh, that they've touched him, uh, apparently including the woman because she didn't come forth, come forward right away. And um, she resisted, she hesitated. Um, so the question is, why is Jesus, um, you know, why is Jesus bringing this up, you know, and um, not letting this woman just get away with a secret healing? Um, why do you think Jesus asks this question? And um, once again, I, I wonder whether it's because he wants a personal encounter with this woman who's touched him. Um, and maybe he wants to address this person in a way that brings even further healing and empowerment. Um, so let's see what happens in the next uh, verses, 47 and 48. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and she fell down before him. And she declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. So how does this woman respond to Jesus's question, who touched me? Well, when she sees that Jesus noticed how she touched him, she, she comes forward and she falls down trembling before him. And she declares her secret and her prior physical condition, right? Before all the people, which in a way is to confess that she, um, you know, that she did an illegal act of sorts because um, as a person who has had a blood flow, she would have been um, making Jesus unclean by touching him, okay? And the fact that she does this without his permission, you know, she brings that into the light, but 
Um, she also falls uh, before him, and this is a slightly different form of, it's prospipto instead of just pipto, and it means to prostrate oneself before someone, implying, you know, supplication, like to fall down before. So um, she declares how she was immediately healed after touching Jesus. And so she's coming, um, and she's falling down before him, not to ask him uh, for a favor. It's not a religious kind of posturing, but it's really she's coming to uh, in recognition that, uh, of a healing that she's already received prior to having made, done anything um, anything religious or any any sort of official like public prayer. But it's public. It's a public bearing witness, like like the woman in Paris who goes uh, to the church the next day and and testifies about how you know she was healed. She received Jesus and was and was healed of her blood flow uh, the night before. So the woman becomes a witness to her people and all the people are able to see that, um, you know, that this woman got her healing before she's confessed anything. And, um, and she becomes an apostle of sorts like the Gerasene demoniac after his deliverance. So um, how does Jesus respond to the woman? And um, interestingly, Jesus calls her daughter and she, he fills then the role of a father he acts as the woman's advocate, doesn't he? You know, uh, she didn't have an advocate. Um, Jairus's daughter, 12-year-old daughter, had her dad to come and to be her advocate. And, um, and she had, um, she'd had this illness for 12 years. Um, and, um, and so there Jesus is naming her daughter, which puts him in the place of, of the father. Jesus um, publicly gives her the credit for the healing, saying, you know, your faith has made you well, which really shows that, um, that Jesus is all about lifting her up. Um, he's, he's doing the opposite of putting her on blast and uh, bringing shame upon her. He's, he's bringing her into the public uh, domain, into, pu into public eye um, and making her famous and giving her the credit for the whole miracle rather than himself. And, um, and so he's, he's truly empowering her and uh, taking her from sort of an excluded voiceless status, you know, to, to giving her a voice and as a public um, witness, your faith has made you well. And then he says, he sends her away in peace, um, freeing her from all of her shame, right? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So um, I just love this story. And I just love that, that we got to witness something so similar. And, you know, it, it really um, shows us so many things. You know, it shows us that people's movement towards Jesus, even if it's uh, secret, um, or in this case, um, yes, especially, I mean, it's all about a secret, illicit, you know, sort of non-public um, expression of faith, which then becomes public, but uh, the healing had already happened, right? And so it shows us that, um, you know, that God is at work and, um, and we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that, that people may, um, you know, they can benefit from, you know, from, from the, all the benefits of, of Jesus, um, you know, at least like healing and, and spiritual freedom prior to actually having a relationship with him. And the relationship can come afterwards. And um, 
And so may we be more alert and more like Jesus, um, you know, uh, willing to, to kind of be uh, interrupted and, and to engage with people and also to, you know, to, to invite them into that um, into that relationship, which which Jesus wants to have with with them, with us, with all of us. Interestingly, right at the at the moment when Jesus is saying, um, "Daughter, your faith has made you well," um, it says, "While well, he was still speaking, so he was still saying that, daughter, uh, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." Someone came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, "Your daughter has died." Do not trouble the teacher anymore. So, um, so right at that moment when there's sort of uh, Jesus is, in a way, adopting this woman, um, the the father is told that that his actual biological daughter has died, and to not trouble the teacher anymore. But it says when Jesus heard this, he answered him, "Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well." So here we see that. Um, that Jesus opens the door um, for religious insiders, you know, who um, often uh, people who are believers, who are church people, you know, religious people, we struggle to believe and we can often feel excluded. You know, we hear stories of healings of people that are not believers in prisons and jails on the streets and addicts, but we think, well, what about me? And what about my ch- my child? You know, but Jesus is really... Um, showing us that um that he's there for you know for for us and for our our children and for those that that we're interceding for and um and it's not too late and though he stops for the outsider he keeps going and he goes into the home of the religious insider and um and this this young girl is raised from the dead you know even death um it didn't make it too late and um but that's a whole other story that we'll look at another time, perhaps. But I'd like to just pray for all of us. Um, God, I just thank you for this amazing story. I thank you that you are at work and you're aware of, of all of us when we come to you. When we come to you, maybe in our brokenness, in our sin, in our excluded status, in our in secret ways, um, thank you that you call that faith. And uh, we just pray that you would inspire us and that you would give us faith. You'd give us uh, faith, uh, the faith of this woman, and that you'd help us to identify uh, that kind of faith in other people that are maybe outsiders in terms of the faith, the Christian faith, the official church faith. And I pray that you'd give us the faith of um, that Jesus is, uh, is calling this gyrus towards, you know, don't be afraid any longer, only believe Help us to be uh, believers um, and to not give up and to not um, lose hope, but to continue to intercede and to know that you, um, you, you know, you will go to our house and, um, and you will meet us in the intimacy of our own, um, you know, our own homes and our families and our personal lives. And that you are um, the one who raises even the dead, Lord. Um, you, you're, you're the, you're the one. Um, who has conquered the power of sin and death. We just welcome you and ask for your help for us um, now in Jesus' name. Amen. And um, so today we're going to continue our training with uh, people here in Casablanca. And uh, we, uh, I hope we will have some, um, you know, some more stories to share 
of what God is yet to do here in uh, Morocco.